0: Good morning. Before we start, I want to give an invitation for you to join us again tonight. Blake Dozier and I will be co-preaching on the subject of pornography. And so hopefully you'll be here. I think that is a sin that it, I think touches a lot of people in our world, especially even within the church. But it's an elephant that we don't always talk about. So within our series on elephants in the church, we're going to be talking about that tonight. I actually, one time uh, I may have been last week if you caught it. I announced that we'd be looking at pornography next week. Uh, probably a bad choice of words. I meant, that, I meant that we would be approaching that topic, and so hopefully you'll be with us tonight as we, uh, as we approach that, that subject, one that I think is very valuable for us to talk about. This morning we're finishing up our series, Church is Over, Let the Service Begin. We're talking about thinking outside the pew. And I don't know about you, but there are often times when I watch something on TV, like a sporting event, and I see them do something silly. I see the coach call a play that didn't work, and I sit there and think, I could do better than that. I could do that. I could do better than that. Maybe you've watched a a TV sitcom, and you thought, this is the junk that gets on TV. I could write something better than this. Or you're driving down the road, and a song comes on the radio, and you're like, that's what makes it on the radio nowadays? I mean, I can sing better than that, right? I think it's our tendency sometimes to look at something or a situation and say, I could do that. Why not me, right? And it's my hope and my prayer that each and every one of us look at Christ, we look at his people and say, I can do that. I mean, why not me? You know, I I, I love doing weddings. I know a lot of preachers don't. But I've been fortunate enough to do three weddings this year. And I just I love weddings. I love everything that surrounds the wedding. I love talking to the young couple before they get married and talking about the ceremony as well as the marriage that is to come. And if you know anything about weddings, if you've ever been in a wedding, if you've ever coordinated a wedding, you know that it doesn't happen just by chance. That there is someone that is orchestrating all of it. And there's probably several somebodies behind the scenes doing things to make sure that that wedding goes off smoothly without a hitch. And the same is true in the church. Whether we're talking about VBS, teacher appreciation dinner, whatever it may be, teaching a Bible class whatever it may be, those things don't happen without somebody coordinating it or several somebody's getting behind it and pushing it along. We understand service if for no other reason we understand it as it pertains to our vocation in life or as it pertains to our home life. And we even understand it in the church. We understand what it means to serve. We've heard all the cliches like you were saved to serve. Maybe we've been guilted into it by a preacher or by an elder. We know all about service, but still we struggle with it. Sometimes we struggle to know where to fit in or what to do. We understand it, but it's not so easy to carry it out. There are certain barriers that we have to overcome. When it comes to service, there are certain things that stand in the way that we have to hurdle in order to make certain that our service is pleasing to God or that we even start serving in the first place. What are some of those? Well, I think the first one's availability. We are a busy people. I don't have to tell you that. In fact, we even get competitive about our busyness, right? Right? I mean, think about it. When someone comes to you and they say, oh, I'm just so busy, you give that inward eye roll and you think to yourself, oh, yeah, whatever. I'm busy too. You're no busier than I am. We're all busy. We understand that. We even get competitive about our busyness. And we talk about all the things on our schedule. And we go back and forth about, yeah, but you didn't do this. Well, yeah, but you didn't do that. We're all busy. We understand busyness. But even though we're busy, that doesn't mean that we're productive. We could spend every moment of our lives doing something and never really accomplish anything worthwhile, but whether it's warranted or not, we're busy, and so that's a barrier that we have to overcome, because when we get busy, we close ourselves off. We don't make ourselves available. We hit that remote twice, once to open the garage door, once we get in, we hit it again to shut it, and we go inside, and we lock our door, and we stay inside our fortress of solitude, and we unwind from the day. We turn off our phones so people won't bother us. Even if we are available, we don't want people bothering us during our downtime. We want to be left alone. That's our time, right? And so we're busy people, and because we're busy, we're not available. We tend to to hoard our time. We cocoon ourselves, and we forget about the example of Jesus. We often talk about walking in the steps of Jesus, but remember the stops of Jesus? Don't remember just his steps, remember his stops. Jesus was always willing to be interrupted. You think about going to weddings or going to funerals, stopping to heal someone. He was willing to be interrupted. Did he ever get tired? Did he ever have anxiety? Did he ever say, Calgon, take me away? I'm sure he did at some point probably, or at least thought about it. He was a busy person. He only had three years here on earth to do ministry, and so he was busy all the time, but he understood that interruptions were a part of life. That's just part of it. You understand that that there are stops in life, that we can't be so busy that we miss these. Jesus was in a hurry, but he never lost his focus. I think it's also important for us to keep in mind that we are the most fortunate people on the planet ever thought about why God has blessed us with so much? I can't help but think that it's because he expects us to bless others. And also don't forget this. You're going to live forever. You realize that, don't you? There is eternity out there. For the Christian, we will live for eternity with God. And that's a glorious thought. But when you think about your time here on earth in comparison to eternity, what's a couple of hours talking with someone who is in need and needs an ear to listen to. Compared to eternity, what is maybe one night a month to help with a committee at church? Or what's coming up here an hour early or staying an hour late to help clean up in comparison to eternity? When you think about living forever, you think about the things that we can do here and now and how it's just a blip on the radar screen When it comes to our time and our effort, I think another barrier to our service is perfectionism. Don't get me wrong on this. I'm not talking about we feel like we have to be perfect. I think a lot of times Christians feel like the conditions have to be perfect before they're going to get involved and do something. They're waiting for the perfect opportunity, the perfect niche that they can get involved in. It's kind of like that guy that's standing on the marital sidelines waiting for the perfect woman. She doesn't exist. I married her, right? She's not not there anymore. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) If you're going to stand and wait for the perfect man or the perfect woman, you won't ever get married, right? Because they don't exist. And I think some people do that within the church. They wait for the perfect opportunity to come along, and guess what? It never comes along. Like we said a couple of weeks ago, we want perfection in the church. We don't demand perfection in anything else in life, but we expect it in the church. How about instead of demanding or expecting perfection, you get in and help it be as perfect as it possibly can. Roll up your sleeves, dig in, and get involved. Don't expect everything to be perfect before you can. Uh, Solomon wrote this. He said, he who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. In other words, the wise Solomon says, if you wait for conditions to be perfect, You'll never get anything done. And I think a third barrier is materialism. I think it's so common for Christians to hoard their stuff and to protect their stash. I think it's common for Christians to do that not only with their possessions and their money, but also with their time and their effort. It's easy to pledge allegiance to the thing of, things of this world, and we lose sight of eternity and storing up treasures in heaven, Let's not forget about our mansion over the hilltop. Let's not forget that everything here is temporary, but our salvation and the salvation of our friends is something that we cannot put a price tag on. Let's be devoted to the right things, and so let's use our wealth and our time and our energy and our effort to glorify God in service to others. Look with me, if you would, at Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says these words, and one of our shepherds read from a moment ago. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. There was a successful doctor who had just gotten a brand new Corvette. And he was driving it down the road when he sees a little boy, about 10 years old, trying to flag him down and get him to stop. The man didn't want to stop. He was busy. And so he rolls past. He comes to a red light, and as he's sitting there, he hears a loud plunk it shakes his car and he looks back and realizes that a brick has hit his car and dented in the trunk his brand new car and he sees a little boy that same little boy that was trying to flag him down that he had obviously thrown the brick and so he gets out he runs over to the boy and he grabs him by the shirt and he says listen here you little juvenile delinquent what are you doing what are you doing throwing a brick at my brand new car and the little boy says I'm sorry I really am, but it's the only way I can get your attention. I've been trying to flag people down for 10 minutes. My mom is lying in the floor of our apartment, and I don't know if she's alive or not, and I need some help. Can you help me? Well, the doctor says, yes, of course I can help you, and he goes to the apartment, finds the mom unresponsive. She's not dead, but he helps her. He gets her to be responsive. He calls an ambulance who comes to the house, and and the little boy looks at the doctor and says, you can, you can do whatever you want to me now. You can take me to jail or whatever. I'm sorry, but it was the only way I could get your attention. And the doctor said, I'm not going to take you to jail. not going to punish you. You did what you had to do in the moment. And the, doc, doc, the doctor resolved right then and right there not to fix the dent in his car. He was going to keep it as a reminder that not everyone should have to throw a brick to get your attention. And I don't know if you're like me, but I have been guilty sometimes of driving by and not stopping. I've been guilty of needing a brick thrown at me to get my attention. And what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 10 is it's not the grandiose things necessarily. Sometimes it's the very small things that can help someone. There's a lot of bad stuff going on in Matthew chapter 10. There are a lot of negatives. If you read through the whole of that passage, Jesus is talking about how his disciples were going to face persecution, rejection, family division, betrayal. And he's naturally asking the question of, so why would we do this? Because that's what the disciples had to have been thinking, right? Why would we go all in then? Why would we follow you if this is what we're going to get out of it? Why not just stay in our lane, close our mouths, and be discreet about service? But Jesus is saying there is reward here. It's not all negative. There is some good. Notice what he says in verse 40. He who receives you, receives me. And he who receives me, receives him who sent me. There is a connecting of people to God when we serve. The connection is people welcome you. By welcoming you, they welcome Christ. And by welcoming Christ, they welcome God. When we preach the gospel, we are connecting people to God. We are preaching the only message message that people will, be, will hear that will lead them from heaven to earth. We are providing the link between this life and the next. And secondly, we bless others. Verse 41, He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet, shall receive a prophet's reward, and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. We may not can all be preachers. We may not can all be missionaries. We may not can all be elders or deacons, but we can all contribute something valuable to the kingdom. Someone has to prepare that funeral meal for the family. Someone someone has to mow the churchyard. Someone has to do the things that may seem minuscule and small or menial. Somebody's got to do them, and they're all significant. Not every preacher preaches to a sold-out AT&T stadium. Not every author writes a bestseller. There are insignificant, seemingly insignificant jobs that have to be done. Answering the phone, answering emails, cleaning out you know, the storage room, whatever it may be, there's always something that needs to be done. And in essence, Jesus says those standing in the shadows receive the same reward as the one who gets the spotlight. We can't all be prophets, he says, but we can all receive a prophet's reward. And the third thing that becomes a reward to us in service is that we are blessed ourselves. Notice verse 42 again. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, you shall not lose, he shall not lose his reward. I want you to notice that there are no boundaries here. It's whoever. Whoever does this. Whoever gives just a cup of cold water to drink. You don't have to be a foreign missionary. You don't have to contribute $10,000 to build a preaching school. You don't have to be a preacher in a mega church you just have to give a cup of cold water can you do that if you can then you're qualified notice the recipient of these it's the, it's the little ones and little ones are all around us they are the broken they are the messed up they are the homeless the indigent the widow the orphan the marginalized notice the action just give a cup of cold water anyone can do that that's not a drain on our finances most of us can go and we can turn on the faucet and we can get a cup of cold water or we can reach in the fridge and pull out a bottle of water. Not everyone in our world has that opportunity. But we can give just a cup of cold water and it can make a profound difference. The point I think Jesus is making is that it's not always about the grand things. You don't have to write a check. You don't have to always go to Somalia or wherever it may be and live and work there, although that's appreciated. You don't always have to do the big In fact, many times it's the small things that make a difference. And it's all kind of reminiscent of Matthew chapter 5, right? Remember what Jesus said there concerning judgment in verse 34 and following? He said, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? You know, I think that if I had given Jesus something to eat or drink, I would have remembered it. But if these people did, they didn't, they didn't recall They couldn't remember doing so. But Jesus, of course, explains to them that even if you did it to one of these little ones, you did it to me. When we go in his name, he goes with us. But not only do we go with him or does he go with us, but we go to God as well. He is there in the face of that starving child in Rwanda. Jesus is there next to that homeless person standing on South First. He shares a cell with every prisoner in the world. Jesus is next to that cancer patient in the hospital. He is there at the funeral of that deceased loved one. You can find him in the war-torn streets of Afghanistan. He is there in the midst of the rubble and ruin and places that have been decimated by a hurricane or an earthquake. Wherever there is brokenness, you will find him. Wherever there is sadness and guilt and pain and heartache, there you will find the man of sorrows. And when we go the extra mile, when we clothe the naked, when we feed the hungry, when we give the thirsty something to drink, he is there. And please understand that the major impact can be found in just the minor deeds. Like a cup of cold water, something to eat, hospitality, a hug, a quick phone call, a trip to the county jail perhaps, a visit to a sick friend, or telling someone I love you. Little is a whole lot when Jesus is in it and God is behind it. You know, the church has a great need, and you probably know what it is, but I'm going to tell you anyway. The church needs a whole lot of people. The church needs a whole bunch of people. In fact, it needs everyone who is here this morning, everyone who is a member of the Lord's church, they are needed. You are needed to accept one job, just one. You may accept more than one, but we need you to accept just one job. Look at your talents, look at your abilities, look at your skills. Determine what it is that you're good at and where you can dig in and help. And hopefully, it's something that you enjoy doing, but it may not be. It may not be something that you particularly enjoy. It may be something that the shepherds have said, hey, we think that you would be great for this. And you say, well, I don't know if I am or not, and I don't really want to do that. doesn't matter. Not always. You don't always get to choose where you serve. It's where you're needed. Look at where you're needed. Accept one job. And then follow through. It's easy to accept the job. It's a little bit harder to follow through. If you've been asked to lead a small group, then do it to the best of your ability. If you've been asked to teach a class, then get here on time. Don't wing it. Don't shoot from the hip. Remember what James said, let, ne, let not many of you be teachers. You can't go in there half cocked You better be ready. You better be prepared. You are handling the word of God. Follow through on that responsibility. If you've been asked to do something simple like, like bring a dish to a, to a meal, do it. Bring it. Follow through. Whatever it is, if you're asked to do something or if you sign up for something, follow through. Accept one job and then follow through. You know, one directive that we hear from Jesus a lot that I'm not sure Christians always get out in front and lead is letting your yes mean yes and your no mean no. We should be the leaders in that area. If we tell somebody we're going to do something, then we should do it. We should be there on time. We should be there ready to do the job and we should be ready to do it to the best of our ability because we understand that nowhere in the Bible has God ever accepted something that was half-hearted. So whether we're a deacon, whether we're an elder, whether we're just someone behind the scenes doing something, it's all valuable, it's all important, and we should not be able to lay our head on our pillow at night without knowing that we did the very best that we could do because that's what God expects and that's what His church deserves. Accept one job, follow through with it. Let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. think all too often we get scared of responsibility because we're afraid that we can't follow through, right? We'd like to do more, but we're afraid that we can't follow through. Let me tell you, folks, if you're too busy for the church, you're too busy, plain and simple. And something needs to change in your life. You've heard me say over and over again, who dictates your schedule? Who comes up with your schedule? For the most part, you do, right? So allow for opportunities to serve. Again, when does church win in your life. It can't always be set aside. At some point, she must win. Create your schedule in a way that allows you to accept one job and then follow through. You know, every four years, we get to exercise a right and a privilege to go and vote for the next president of the United States. And many of us accept that responsibility very seriously. We take it very seriously. And we get excited about the opportunity to go and to vote because we know that is a privilege that, that is an honor, really. And so we see this, this flood or this ocean of democracy, right, every four years take over. And many of us are passionate about that. Let's be as passionate about the opportunity to dig in and to serve. Realizing that it's a privilege, it's an honor to serve Jesus. It's not, an, it's not an obligation or a burden. It's something that we should be proud to do. I've used Don Knotts several times in this series as an illustration. Please indulge me one more time. Some of our young people are going, who is Don Knotts? But you ever watch the Andy Griffith show, you know Barney Fife. The bumbling goofball who always keeps a bullet in his pocket and, you know, shaking and puts, his, puts the bullet in the chamber and, you know, shoots himself in the foot. I mean, that's, that's Don Knotts. And if you've ever seen him portray Barney Fife on the Andy Griffith Show, you pretty much know how he is in every movie he's ever been in because that's Don Knotts' character. In every single role he's ever played, he's always a 110-pound goofball for the most part. You ever seen the movie The Ghost of Mr. Chicken? Some of you younger folks, go see it. It's really good. Don Knotts plays a guy by the name of Luther in that movie. And there is a woman in that movie who's very pretty that he is attracted to. Her name's Alma. And for whatever reason, Alma kind of likes Luther. There's no reason that she should, but, you know, Hollywood is unrealistic, and, you know, it makes the unrealistic come to life. And so this, this lady, Alma... It's kind of fond of Don Knotts' character, Luther. And Luther, of course, is fond of her. And so they have a date. And afterwards, they're sitting on the front porch. And Don Knotts decides, Luther decides, that it's now or never. If I'm going to make my move, it's now. So he puts his arm around her, and he tries to move the, the football of love down the field, so to speak. And he looks at her, and he says these words. He says, Alma, you're a real attractive girl. Way above average. Oh, thank you, she says. And Luther then admits that that he's just an ordinary guy, and she doesn't give any argument. Then Luther says this. He says, average is just plain lucky to be sitting on the same porch as above average. And then he goes on to say, why me? I'm so lucky just to be sitting here. You ever feel that way? As a Christian, you ever feel that way? Do you feel like you're just lucky to be sitting here? I mean, we have the opportunity as average to be sitting in the presence of above average, don't we? And so rather than saying, well, why me? We should be saying, why not me? What an honor and a privilege to be in the presence of God, to be able to serve Him with the abilities and the talents that He has given us. We are the ones that are truly blessed. We go to other people and think, we're going to bless them in our service. We're the ones that are blessed. To just have the opportunity as average people to be in the presence of above average and to, to serve Him. Maybe we need to recalibrate our thinking when it comes to service. It shouldn't be a burden or an obligation. It's a blessing. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your church, for your son who is the head of it. We thank you for the opportunity to serve you to the best of our abilities, and we pray that we do just that that we can accept one job and that we can follow through on that so that your church will will be honored, be glorified, so that we can show what Christ looks like to others and so that we can draw closer together ourselves. Thank you so much for blessing us with talents and abilities, and may we always use them to glorify you in everything that we do and not get caught up in so much of what goes on around us, but seek to do what you would have us to do first and foremost. Help us to make it a priority. Help us to put you first, your church first, and help us, God, to live like you would have us to live. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You know, I ask myself the question sometimes, am I so close to this that I can't see properly? In other words, I I get to come to church and work every day, get paid for it. Does that jade my view on things? Does that slant my view? Does that make me biased in my view? I realize that we've got a lot of hardworking, busy people in our congregation. I just hope that you'll accept one job and that you'll follow through. I also want to offer you an invitation this morning that if you're hurting, if you need the prayers and support of this church family, if you are broken, we are here. God is here. We want to help you. If you're ready to study the Bible with someone, we want to help you do that as well. And maybe you've been contemplating becoming a child of God and you're ready to do that. Whatever need you might have, come now as we stand and as we sing.